a small band of heroes sets out on a quest regarding a powerful artifact, but bad guys that also want this artifact chase after our heroes. The heroes realize the power of the great artifact and fight over who gets to hold it. But in the end, they realize that no one should wield this, this destructive weapon. And they cast it out into oblivion as we review The Lord of the Rings. Hello, everybody, and welcome to <laughs> The Seventh Rule with Sirach Lofton. Hello, hello. My name is Ryan T. Husk, and today we are doing a review, actually, of Deep Space Nine Season 4, The Sword of Kaelas, directed by LeVar Burton, written by Hans Beimler. How are you today, Sirach? I'm good. I'm doing well. I didn't realize it was a LeVar Burton episode. That's good to know. This episode was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I see the I see the connections, but you know there was a Lavar Burton did this one, huh? Right. Mm -hmm. Make a note of that. We do love our Lavar episodes. He does a great job. Yeah, this is like um, I guess I was anticipating more. I thought this would be the beginning of the romance between Dax and mm. Worf because I know that eventually they're going to get to that point because I was at the wedding ladies and gentlemen I was there so <laughs> I know there's a wedding of some sort <clears throat> but um, but no they didn't really get into their personal kind of feelings or connections that wasn't really the storyline it was more about uh, absolute power corrupting and, and, and these kinds of curses that that we often hear about on ancient artifacts from Egyptian mummies and uh, ancient Aztec yeah. items. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of really cool stuff. And, and this is definitely one, when I watched it, that I was thinking we're going to have some fun talking about this one because it's kind of stuff we do talk about when we're talking about ancient history and artifacts when we're just talking about our own things. Uh, before we get into all of that, we do want to make sure that everybody uh, gives this video a like and or rating, uh, please be sure to subscribe and hit the bell icon for notifications. And um, patreon.com slash the seventh rule is where you can find us. Also a very quick shout out. I was looking over our very first round table, Sirach, I don't know if you remember that, but it was just about two years ago now. And the first two people at our round table were Homer Frizzell and John Tuferella. So we want to give a big shout out to the people that have been here, been with us, Absolutely. supporting us from the very beginning and every day throughout. Big, big shout out to them. Two legends. And as we would say in, in Los Angeles, OGs, the OGs of the seventh rule. So is that just an LA you. thing? Uh I don't know. I think it's caught on now, but yeah, mm. I, th I thought it started out here. Could be, um, yeah. But um, it has caught on and become some part of popular culture. You know, the originals or original gangsters. That's what as it is. They, as, as what we would call them. Um, so yeah, they are, they are the OGs of the Seventh World Podcast, and we appreciate your love and support, man. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Totally. Totally. And this episode featured your favorite Klingon. I remember you gave one of the best nicknames ever 
Do you remember what it was? Uh, you gotta get. You gotta refresh my memory. Tell me. It was. It was Core's. Uh, you gave Cora a nice nickname uh, a few weeks ago when we reviewed uh, the previous episode. I forgot what it was called. Called him Core's Light. Oh yeah. That's Core's pretty Light. Pretty good. Nice. <laughs> Appreciate that callback right there. Mm-hmm. Um, very good. Very good. I thought in this episode, he's uh, the actor that played him. I'm sure you'll you can pull that up but i thought he was just fantastic he's great at the storytelling which is a kind of a klingon uh, even cardassian type thing where they're just these really great storytellers um right. <clears throat> and that's what i enjoyed i enjoy watching that was one of the elements of this show that i like his name is john kolikos sounds what greek probably uh, but he was in the original series as a Klingon. Uh, Kor, Koloth, and Kang were. Um, and so he comes back again. You know, they were back again together in Deep Space Nine a few episodes ago. And now they're back again, or Kor is. Um, so it's really cool that they keep using the same guy. Although I did check out a piece of trivia, which was Kor was also in uh, Star Trek's The Animated Series, you know, the original series, but it was not voiced by this actor. It was one of the many, many, many characters in the animated series that was voiced by James Doohan, Scotty. So he did most of the extra voices in the animated series, so this fella did not. Okay, well, either way, I thought his performance was really good in this one. Loved him as the storyteller, loved him as the guy with this, you know, who initially brings us on with this dream of the Sword of Kalis and gives us the introduction into the meaning of, you know, how relevant it would be to Klingon society and Klingon culture. So I, I like the backstory there. Um, I think in the beginning he had like an opening monologue where he said, greater than the torch of Gabok or, you know, something about Sabak's armor and yeah, he's quite a storyteller, right? Yeah, even more prestigious than the emperor's crown, you know, and, and he went on through this whole thing. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of these kinds of episodes that look for things. They have this quest of trying to find that one thing that's very meaningful, the, the Holy grail, for example, you're going to say that. Yeah. Right. In uh, Indiana Jones, you know, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, um, the search the shroud, for these things. The Shroud of Jesus or the Christ or whatever. Yeah. Um, right, which is called the Shroud of Turin, where it is Turin, now. that's what it is, yeah. T-U-R-I-N. Yeah, um, yeah and, and I thought of that, and I put that in my notes, too, that it, it did actually remind me a little bit about the Raiders of the Lost Ark when he said, when, when Jadzia said something like, you know, are we sure it's the real one? And he says, of course it is. Look at it. Like he could just tell (laughs) by looking at it, this is it. And that was in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course, they were wrong when they said that. You know, they said, this must be the the goblet because there are so many of them. And they picked Mm -hmm. the most beautiful and pristine one. And they're like, it's more magnificent than I ever imagined. Of course, it wasn't that. It was the simple whatever. So it did harken back and, and remind me of that. Obviously, this was totally different what they did with it but it was cool remind me of that cool scene 
Yeah, um, and then uh, you know she also did like a uh, geological survey on the item itself to trace that its ancestry, which is what we do with radiocarbon dating when we, right. you know, find out how long things have been um, on this planet. So I thought that was cool, a little carbon dating, a little scientific detective work on the item itself, a little archaeology uh, mixed in with science. So I thought that was a good application for. Uh, Dax, not to mention the fact that she had this Klingon background in her uh, lifespan, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought that she was a perfect vehicle to kind of be driving the story and also be present. So she didn't seem out of place to me and actually felt it felt very natural that she was there. Yeah, it was a good little crew. And at the beginning of the episode, uh, I, I felt this way and I feel like most people probably did when they say, okay, the three of us are setting out on this mission and we're kind of like, all right, cool. This is a good little crew. You know, you've got Dax and Worf together, which already feels like it's, it's a solid group. And then you've got the, the wise old Klingon, you know, battle hardened storyteller warrior, you know, and it's just, you know, when, when they get together, I was like, all right, I'm here for it. This is, this is a good little crew. I want to see what they can, what they can do, you know? Yeah, that's that's pretty much how how I felt about it, and and you knew it was going to be that kind of adventure. I think when they were in Quark's bar and um, Core, you know, he he basically gets everybody excited about the story, but um, when Dax says, uh, "Let me introduce you to Core to uh, to Worf," and he's like, "I don't want to meet that guy. You know, he's going to be he's going to not like me. He's going to be so, mean." <laughs> yeah, he's going mean so uh so you know she forces the introduction and and i really like the way core kind of starts out like you you treasonous uh you know scoundrel low down you know and, and you can see wharf getting like all right i might have to fight this guy he said you a know. lot of things to him yeah i don't think i took them all down but yeah he said you know he called them like three or four yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I did. Uh, he says, "Ah, Wharf, the traitor, the pariah, the lowest of the low." <laughs> right. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> yes. No. Then, yeah. But then, he before he said pleasure to meet you, he said, "Any any enemy of Galron, mm-hmm. right?" So it's like, oh, because you are an enemy of Galron, you're a friend of mine. So, mm-hmm. uh, Wharf's beefs in the past, prior beefs. Um, actually served to benefit him in this particular, but then also served to count against him when it comes to the Duras, the House of Duras, right? Right, right. And that was a a character that was introduced in The Next Generation, um, but I believe it was played by a different actor. Uh, What was the the kid's name? He was a, a, you know, a nephew of the Duras sisters or something like that. Oh yeah, Terrell. Terrell. Right, that's the one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not to be confused with Terrell Owens or I Terrell, Terrell Davis. <laughs> Do you really know Terrell Owens? Uh, yeah, I played basketball with Terrell Owens. No, way. Yes. he was a great basketball player. He's only he's like six one, right? But he's I remember pretty he was good really good. Player. Yeah, well, I mean. When you're built like that and you have the genetics that he has, it's pretty much you can do anything, I think, athletic-wise. Maybe difficult things with balance, like 
ballet or uh, ice skating or something might be difficult, but anything with his feet on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, baseball, football, basketball, <clears throat> with that physique, he can, he can do whatever he wants. You know, quick thing, I, I, one, one quick thing, sorry guys, but we're sports nerds. Real quick, you know, as a, I'm a big 49er fan and he was drafted by the 49ers. And in the preseason of his rookie year, it was before the season even started, but I was already a nerd that's like following everybody and learning who they are, who the new people are. And I'm walking around in the, the local mall in the Bay Area and I see a dude that looks just like Terrell Owens. And I look at him and my first thought is, and I see him and he sees me and I go, whoa, dude, you look just like Terrell Owens. <laughs> and he gives me this big smile and he kind of like nods and whatever. And I walk away and I'm like, oh, wait, that was him. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, he's, he's at on the, you know, on the 49ers and this is the local mall. And he probably... He just joined the team, so he was probably like, oh, I'm already getting noticed. But anyway, that's, uh, that's how dumb I am. I was like, whoa, this guy that looks exactly <laughs> like him, I'm going to let him know who he looks like. Anyway. Yeah, yeah it was him. It was him. <laughs> so, yeah, back, so back to the episode. Yeah, you were making a reference about House of Duress and, and Terrell. Right. Sorry about that. Um, but, yeah, so he was um, – in, in one previous episode in Next Generation, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it, it was, again, I think it was like trying, you know, the Dura sisters were always trying to usurp whoever the chancellor was or whoever was in charge. So he was part of that. And so they already had, you know, beef, you know, in, in, in a previous episode. So that's how they knew each other. But I think it was good that they reminded us of his name because if the actor was different which mm-hmm. i believe it was then they always say ah terrell it must be you you know and you go oh, okay i get it gotcha right right yeah i mean there was a little bit there um it was it was the story really was brought up to show that war is too human or more human than he is Klingon, which is the fact that he was able to make himself vulnerable to uh, the emotion of forgiveness, right? Or, or not, not carrying out his duty as a Klingon by executing mm-hmm. Tyr- Tyrell as a, uh, some kind of vengeance for his, for something that happened. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Worf, it, it's cool that, they're already giving Worf a lot of um, character arc, you know, more so than he got in next generation and seven years of next generation. So it's really cool that already what eight episodes in, we're already knee deep into the story of Worf. And that's, that's great. You know, it's really cool that they did that for that character. And he became this character that he was, pretty one-dimensional next generation but in deep space nine they just blew him up and turned him into something amazing you know very multi-dimensional a lot of depth mm-hmm. and this is kind of one of those first couple episodes where we we learn a lot about him you know when he says he had um the visions that Kales came to him and and what he thought that meant and his career and his life's goal and i mean we're learning all you know, all about who he is on the inside, you know? 
We are. And, you know, just as a side note, um, so around this time, obviously, he's just now being introduced in our cast in the fourth season, right? This is where we're all having to kind of add a new teammate on the team. And and, and there's always that uh, time of trying to build chemistry and, and personal relationships while you're working with an actor. And um, I can see that it was challenging for Michael Dorn. Not that he was challenged to do work because he's already had that <laughs> character down packed and that wasn't difficult for him at all. Yeah, he's an old pro. He's an old pro. But the challenge for him more so was to like try to fit in with our cast, right? Because he'd already um, established himself on Next Generation. He has deep roots there. I think his heart truly still is, is there with the Next Generation cast. But he... You know, he, he put his head down and did the work, and I, I want to give him his credit for that. I thought that um, when you watch these episodes, as we are doing, I think he really made a, a seamless uh, integration into our cast. And I did, it, at least on film, you can't see any uh, any problem that he had integrating with the rest of us. It seemed that it was seamless. It seemed like he was professional about it, and even though I'm sure he was dealing with his own kind of mixed bag of feelings. So I want to give him credit for really just stepping into the role and blending in right away without any, um, any difficulty. Right. And he has said in the past that it was kind of a difficult transition for various reasons. But like you say, you know, on screen, all we see is a great addition and more depth and more characters and you know better storylines and just more you know like it works it's beautiful it's just like the addition of the defiant you know it just it just added depth and the character of wharf added depth you know and yeah it's to me as a fan watching it it was very exciting it was a great addition so yeah you're right like whatever was yeah. going on behind the scenes, no, you know, whatever, but the, the end result was, was a, a bonus, was a, a positive. The end result was a positive. <clears throat> and the other thing I believe that his presence does, and in this episode makes that clear, uh, more clear than any other one so far, is that he brings out something in Dax that um, mm. I don't think has been truly activated. It is activated when Cisco has his old man moments with her, but um, I think it's, it, it even has a different side and a different color to it when it's brought out through her interactions with uh, the Klingons and mm. her, her knowledge of that. Mm. Yeah, it's great for Dax. It's, you know, it, it adds to the stories for all the characters, really, but Dax more than any. Um, and it's also interesting to see, uh, you know, in, in subsequent episodes, how this affects Major Kira, because she was always like the first officer behind Cisco. And now there's kind of like this gray area of like, well, who's, who's the second in charge here? You know, it's kind of like Kira's second in charge on the station and Worf is, you know, second in charge on the Defiant. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think they handled it well. Um, I never really noticed any issues, but I don't remember if they ever actually verbalized it. You know, they actually like 
established it in canon what their exact roles are. We just kind of saw the result of it. <clears throat> yeah, um, I kind of agree with your assessment of it that, um, you know, because the station has more ties to Bajor, that Kira would naturally be the person in charge. But when you get on a ship, because uh, Worf has more experience being on a starship, he would then kind of outrank. So it kind of works out that way. I think it was, they didn't really address it too much, but it seemed to have played out like that. And uh, we get to hear a tiny bit about the Herc. Uh, those were the, that's the race that had this Batleth, which is kind of like a, a race that's mentioned here and there in, in Klingon lore. Uh, but we never really get to see them. Um, actually, there was a, a deleted scene that never made it to, you know, this episode oh. <clears throat> where Worf talks more about the Herc. And I saw it and I forgot that it wasn't still in here. And he's like, he's talking about, he's like, uh, the, the Herc are here and they, they make excellent movies. Uh, they made a movie about war, the Herc Locker. You know stuff like that, and um, oh god, yeah, no, no, it was, it was great. No, it was a, uh, it was like a pretty long, it's pretty long, you know. And then he says, like, uh, what, what else was he talking about? Um, other, other movies they have made, uh, a buddy cop movie, Turner and Hook, Herc. <laughs> okay, wait, I can do better. Oh, god. Let me think. Oh, god. There, there is also a movie. I do not remember what it is called, but they say Hercules, Hercules. No. Hmm. Oh God. They do not yeah. only do they, they do movies, uh Ben Herc, but not only movies, they also make they make excellent television shows. Jake, our favorite television show that we always talk about, a man called Herc. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're dead. I really Yeah, do. no, no, I'm definitely but they Anyway, so the Herc, you know, they get, they're, they're gone forever, you know, but they do talk about how they eventually, you know, because they're, they're kind of disbanded, but they will get eventually reunited by Peaches and Herc. No? Okay. All right. Anyway, so moving on. Um, but they did also, they also do a nice line of towels that you can buy for couples and stuff. They make them his and Herc's towels for everybody to enjoy. Uh, that was a little better. I'll give you that one <laughs> a little bit. Captain, incoming uh, message. They say their favorite Starfleet officer is Captain Kirk. Oh, God. And their favorite Wait. WWE wrestler is Hacksaw Jim... Oh, I messed that one up. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> Oh man, I I was just waiting for you to tell us what car he drives, and I'm sure it was a Mercedes Benz. Ah, uh, I was waiting. I'm like, I'm like, I know Sirach's gonna jump in here. There's no way you did. You got Coors Light before. That's pretty solid. I knew you're gonna toss something in. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, now that we're completely <clears throat> off topic. Yeah. Sorry about that. We'll uh, bring it back. Well, they did uh, actually add some words to the lexicon and some terms that are uh, like coronavirus related stuff. Like when you go and 
get a coronavirus test. Now they stick something up your nose. But before, initially, they would make you herkalugi into a cup. And oh, anyway, I think we're coming to our break real soon. So maybe we should just oh, take, maybe we should just take yeah, a break here. Yeah, I, I think we should have rehearsed this one before. Um, we you think this deserves some rehearsal? <laughs> I think it's best to just move it on, move it along. Uh, but I will say this, though, because you did bring up a point that I was going to highlight. And I always like to look at the origins of words and how they use words, uh, whatever the words are. Um, and ones that stitch, stand out to me, the one was obviously in this case was Herc. And I do believe that it is a abbreviated version of the word Hercules, hmm. which which also has, uh, which is a Roman Roman word that has Greek origin. So these are uh, Greek and Roman gods. Um, so I just think that there is some kind of uh, correlation between them using that and the uh, Greek and Roman gods of Her Hercules and Heracles. So let's talk a little bit more about that on the other side because we do love that stuff uh so we'll be right back on the seventh rule and we'll stop making puns <laughs> probably hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. And welcome back to The Seventh Rule with Sirach Lofton. Hello, hello. We've composed ourselves. We've gotten all the uh, puns out of the way. Uh, very quickly, here are the trivioids that didn't make the cut because we didn't even really use one. We just referenced Lord of the Rings. Uh, Chief O'Brien doesn't care if Core's story is true as long as he tells it well. Dax sets, sets to authenticate a shroud that might have held the Sword of Kaelas. Core gets his brain sucked out by that weird alien that attacked Julian. Uh, Lethian, I believe is what it is. Uh, Dax finds both Klingon and Herc DNA on the cloth. Worf, Dax, and Core go on a Lord of the Rings type adventure. Okay, we kind of got that. Core sleeps like an Alvanian cave sloth. The Herc are the great <laughs> plunderers of the galaxy. Core uses the sword of Kalis as a fork. And Cisco trims his goatee with the precision of a bonsai tree. Yeah, you gotta love that. I like that moment there that's, too. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, bonsai precision. So yeah, so the Herc was spelled H-U-R-Q. It's a really weird way of spelling it, but you know, as soon as we hear Herc, the first thing we think of is Hercules, right? Yeah, that's the first thing you think of, yeah. sure. Who knows, but I we've mean, never yeah. we've never seen this alien before. Star Trek Online uh, has put together what they think an alien looks like. So that's the closest thing we have. Uh, that doesn't make it 100% canon, but Star Trek Online does, you know, work well and talk well with CBS. So we can consider the Herc to look like that. They're like these big, I don't know, crab aliens or something. Okay. Anyway, what were you saying? Sorry. 
Uh, no, I wasn't saying much. I was just making the reference about the uh, Greek mythology. Um, um, I think it, Hercules was the uh, son of Jupiter uh, and later became known as Saturn. So it's it's actually part of this whole mythology. And, you know, DS, I mean, DS9 and All Star Trek really deals heavily in mythology and whether it's Egyptian, Greek, Roman. So I just like to kind of highlight those things whenever I can see them. I'm sure there's more that are out there than I know I'm aware of, but. Right. Um, yeah, there was, make, a there was a character in the original series called Apollo and played by Michael Forrest. And he actually came and reprised his role in Star Trek Continues, their first episode. He reprised his role as, you know, an Apollo 40 years later. So that was really cool. But yeah, you're right. There's, they do put in Greek mythology uh, and I can't think of any others right now, but I know that they have Roman mythology less, I think. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the same, but they just have different names for the same characters, generally speaking. They well, yeah. I mean, it, I mean there, it, the list goes on actually. The, I was thinking, for example, about uh, Dr. Bashir and his first name being Julian. Uh, Julian being the Julian calendar, which refers to uh, Roman uh, emperor, I think Julius Caesar. Yep. So, so they are certainly using these particular words, whether they're just picking them out of a hat or not, I'm not sure, but it seems like they're aware of these things. I think Benjamin and Jacob, my character's name and my, my father's name, if you look at Benjamin, Jacob and Joseph, our father, <laughs> our, my, our grandfather, my grandfather, uh, you see that they've all used these biblical lay names that are um, in the Old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, a, that's, again, you know, part of this, this biblical mythology. So I, I think there's so many uh, small details there that, that really make a, uh, a that bring a level of depth to it if you start to go down each and every one of those rabbit holes. Yeah, and that's something I'd never thought about or, or noticed until you mentioned it a while back when you, you mentioned those three names, and I, I'd never made that connection or pieced that together, so that's really interesting. I would love to ask uh, Rick Berman, you know, and say, was, you know, where'd you come up with these names? Were you just trying to, like, were you just flipping through the Bible, and you're like, uh, this one, this one, you know, let's have a Lieutenant Jesus or something. Yeah, um... I've asked that kind of a question before. Oh, cool. And, and the question, the answer that I got was that Michael Piller knows the answer. And since he's no longer with us, mm. then the real answer to that question won't really be revealed. But I believe that it, Michael Piller was aware of all of these things. And obviously he, you know, these other things, like you say, going back to the original series and, and, and whatnot, those predate him. So somebody else would know the answer to those questions. But with the answer to Jacob and Benjamin and Joseph, that would be a Michael Piller. Uh, he would be best suited to answer that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So also a little uh, Star Trek thing that I notice, and this is kind of a funny thing that they always do. But whenever different races from different planets describe an animal, it always happens to be an animal that we have here on Earth. 
but then they always use Alvanian or whatever. But they always say, I want to, uh, I slept like an Alvanian cave sloth, or I slept like an Arcturian sky beetle, or a, you know, it's always something that starts with an A, Al, Alviron, you know, bat, or something that's, anyway, that's just a, a weird thing that I've noticed. Every once in a while, even when they say a toothless old Grishnar cat. <laughs> you know, they just, right, right, right. they really <laughs> hammer home so that we know exactly what we're talking about. It's a cat. Right, right. right. No, I, I get that. I've seen that before. And along the same lines of nitpickiness, <laughs> I, I found a small nitpick of my own watching this episode. And I was thinking, it's crazy how all aliens, no matter where they're from, they all fight in a similar fighting style of punching <laughs> and kicking, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, they all went to the same school of fighting. There's nobody that fights in a weird, like, you know, moving their hands in a weird way or something. Like, this is how we were taught how to fight on our planet, you know? <laughs> now, everybody seems to have been Because well, those races have been conquered. <laughs> right. The people that fight like this are not winning any fights. But it's funny because they all have these punches and these combos. And I'm like, or the two-hand punch or whatever it is, you know. And you're like, wow, that thing really gets around the galaxy, these fighting styles. Bruce Lee must have been uh, resonating around, you know. An epiphany happened around the universe about Bruce Lee and how to fight like him. <clears throat> Good point. But the, other, but the other reference even in this episode uh, Worf talks about the domes of Kronos, right? He, he mentioned the first time that he asked his adopted parents if he could go back to visit his Klingon home world. He'll never forget the sight of the domes yeah. of Kronos. And Kronos, once again, for those that don't know, is another reference to uh, mythology. Yeah. And actually, I'm sorry, Kronos is Saturn. I, meant, I said Hercules was. No, Hercules is the son of Jupiter. Yeah, he's a demigod. Uh, yeah, Kronos is is also known as Saturn, mm -hmm. um, also known as uh, the god of time, which is where we get chronology. Uh, yeah, chronology and uh, chronograph watches. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, excellent knowledge. Very, I like that a lot. That's true. Uh, Kronos. I mean, it's spelled differently. Like again. The Klingons, they spell it with a Q. They like to screw with language. But yeah, right. yeah you're right. That's that's Kronos. <clears throat> so just a little just a little bit of knowledge in there. Um, I did like the line. I thought this was the line of the episode for me, Ryan. And that was when Kor was telling the story about them catching that little cave rat. Right? Yep. And he and he he was kind of going, he's like, I, it attacked us and it had these <laughs> And he was starting to embellish the story that just happened right in front of our face, right? And of course, Dax catches on and she likes it. So she starts to like add on to the embellishment. And uh, Worf, of course, has to, you know, have rain on the parade. And he's like, I don't think you should be embellishing stories. And it's not fun. And don't do that. Uh, a real warrior doesn't have to. <laughs> Embellish, you know? yeah. And then the the answer, which I thought was just brilliant from Core, was uh, the son of Moog is not amused. You know, he says, "Well, what am I supposed to say <laughs> when I get to your part of the story? 
and Worf came along. And it was just... <laughs> and along <laughs> came Worf. And along came Worf. And I really like that part because it's like, you know, do you want to be... Are you going to tell the story the right way or are you going to just, you know, throw it away and make it just like it's, it wasn't a big deal? We just found the, the holy grail of our country, right? And you want me to tell stories in a flat, boring way. I, I just, I, I liked it. I liked his uh, embellishing a little bit because it, it's true that when you tell a story, you should tell it in the right frame. You might have to embellish certain things, or you might have to highlight certain things that you think will make the story better. So, talking about the time of day, or the way the sun was glistening, or the way you know the waves were crashing. You know, you probably put a little extra on it, but. Mm. Uh, but that's what makes storytelling storytelling yeah that's kind of like when somebody has a joke and it's like a really long story with not a very good punchline but I guess it's because they're like hey the story is part of the fun you know the punchline just kind of yeah. like something at the end but this guy is quite the storyteller um, yes yeah he's definitely Although it does seem that Klingons, they're kind of this weird thing where they're, they're, they're almost contradictory, where they, they try to act like they're, they want to fight and they want to kill and they want to get down to business. But at the same time, they also love stories and song and apparently now embellishment, you know, but you would think that embellishment wouldn't be honorable. It is dishonorable to lie about one's achievements or, or whatever it is, you know? Uh, but that's yeah. kind of what makes them so interesting. That's definitely one of the races that they have uh, fleshed out the most in Star Trek. Yeah. And the, the other thing I thought was kind of slightly, I mean, we knew that at some point that alien that read his mind was going to pop up out of nowhere and try to sabotage. Lethian, yeah. Right, Lethian. And I guess what I'm saying is that it was weird to me that on the one hand, Worf was talking about saving that Terrell's life from the house of Duras because he didn't deserve to die and it wasn't his fault. And he was a boy, you know, just a kid. But yet when he shows up to try to take that sword, I'll kill you fast and not even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the sword of Kalos right there. Right, so he's like, uh, you got to die. Um, so I just thought that was funny. Like, the guy that he was spared his life and this and that, and he ends up killing him without even a thought or an afterthought. Like, man, I didn't, I didn't want to have to kill that kid. He just shouldn't have came for the sword. He didn't even give it an afterthought. That's the power of the one ring. It, yeah. it grabs hold of the minds of those who want to wield it. Yes, yeah, um... And then I actually, the, another part of the scene that I really liked in this episode was when they were walking on that ledge. And of course, uh, Kor slips on the ledge and he, he's about to fall. Worf has hold of him with the sword. And I liked that moment because it was the two of them holding on to the same thing that they wanted. Yeah. And, and I just really liked that moment. I thought it was great. I also liked the way it was filmed in a way that, you know, where Dax was asked, can you see the ledge? You know, of course, it, can you see the ledge? And you could tell because she's, hold, she's also holding right. Worf that she doesn't have the angle 
to look over the edge. And, and as far as directing, shout out to LeVar Burden for pulling that off in a way that was very believable to me. Right. That was all about blocking. It has to be, you know, she even kind of like looks, she's like, I, I can't see it, you know, because Worf had the angle to look down. But then afterwards, you know, uh, the kicker was that when they pull him up, she, she then looks, you know, she's kind of like, well, let me just go make sure, you know, let's see what, mm-hmm. what, what's up for real. And she looks and she's like, that ledge would not have supported him. Worf. It's Worf. not my fault that he's old yeah. and he comes and he falls. Yeah. <laughs> I did not push him on that cliff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, Worf, you're turning into a real jerk because of this thing. But it got a hold of him, you know, and the power, the power and the, the promises of, of, of grandeur and, and, and riches and, and celebrity because of being the possessor of this thing or the one who discovers it or turns it in. All of those things were like um, tempting them to um, step outside of their natural character and, and be tempted to uh, be evil or malicious in their thoughts. But I do think that this episode actually left a very great window for the future writers of Star yeah. Trek. Um, you know, the guys that are doing stuff like Discovery now and and uh, Picard, because I believe that they've left a window where they can go back to that sword at some point, because we just saw it floating in space. And I really like that vision of it. Kind of remind me of the Tesla that Elon Musk sent out into space. <laughs> <laughs> So I like that imagery, you know, it was just pretty, it was nice. And at one point or another, you know, they could bring that story back. Hmm. That's true. Uh, They can. Um, And, you know, maybe they will, maybe they'll just be like, what's this thing floating around? Although it's going to be tough for them to notice this tiny, you know, four foot long piece of space junk and, and to look at it. So, you know, stranger things have happened, but you're right. That, that window is open. If they ever want to, you know, examine it probably in Picard um, because in discovery right now, they're so far into the future that we haven't even seen any Klingons yet. Right. Right. We even heard. So for all we know, the Klingons are, are wiped out. They're, they're gone forever for all we know. Um, But in Picard, that's certainly a thing. And Picard uh, is knee deep in Klingon actually, history. No, actually, no, I think in Discovery, we did hear about some kind of alliance with the Klingons and the Romulans and the Andorians. And didn't we hear about some alliance that they had to, to defeat? Uh, um, yeah, but see, that was the mirror universe. The and, that mirror, and that mirror universe was in the past was back okay. in in the set like the second season and first season I'm, era. Just, I'm just saying they did mention them i'm just yeah. saying they did come up and you gotta you gotta be at least recognizing the fact that i was able to remember that you know <laughs> a week later <laughs> a week it was last yeah. week but yeah. i do it's remember like three days they ago trying, they were trying to defeat the terrans that's so true they did mention you're right the they had a really cool you know crew where they said like the romulans and the klingons and the Tellarites and the Rigelians or something like that. We talked right. about that. That was pretty cool. Right. And we, yeah. we talked about who would be the boss, the Klingons or the Romulans. Um, right. Yeah. But so, so the Klingons have been mentioned, whether 
Now, now the timeline you're right is in the mirror universe and whatnot, but uh, just sh- you know credit to Discovery for actually bringing him up at all. Mm-hmm. Keeping him around in the conversation for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that was also the um, you you were talking about that scene, and you know Dax kind of pulls Worf's card and said, you know, there was no way that dude would have landed on that ledge. And but I liked Core's answer when he just said, "You call that a ledge?" <laughs> it was like it was it was comedic. And actually, there were another other comedic moments. I thought, "Oh yes, we'll all just fall asleep like vigilant children while Worf." Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Worf looks us over. Or yeah, that was yeah. a great line. He was he was actually more comedic than anything else. He seemed like a little cutie, like just an old guy that just like even when when Dax said, you know you've had enough or even Worf was a little bleary eyed or something. He just kind of like, hmm, like, Hey, well, Hey, Hey, I'm just an old guy who likes to get drunk. Leave yeah. me alone. Hey, yeah, I mean, let me finish what's in my cup. I'll meet you over there. Yeah. Is I'll be fun? right there. So yeah, I did notice that. Um, he, he, he played it for comedy, but he also, when he got serious, he felt the, the gravity of his seriousness as well. Like right. he wasn't, play, he wasn't playing around with it either. He was dead serious about, uh i think he said at some point like i will die with this sword you know when he was hanging on the ledge he's like yeah no this i'm dying with this thing so he's taking it with him yeah i'm not playing around i'm not he's like why don't you let go (laughs) you let go no you let go and dax is like we can just pull him up yeah can we just do that and then she shoots them both later on which was great i also thought it was a, a great little bit of stunts when Worf grabs him by, you know, the, the scruff here and like lifts him up against the, the, uh, it slams him against the cave wall, you know, I actually rewound that like three times to watch the stunt. I was like, Oh, that's a really good stunt. I mean, it was pretty good. He had him like a solid three feet above, you know, the the floor. Uh, Mm -hmm. so that was a really good, really good stunt. Um, I'm assuming that was the stunt doubles probably for Worf and most definitely for the 70 year old actor <laughs> to be by his neck. Uh, yeah. Certainly there, uh, but it looked good. I liked it a lot. And that was, that was something where I did, I did a little mental nod to LeVar for, you know, setting that up, making it look good and making it exciting. You know, it was cool. Now I do have a little issue. Um, oh boy. No, it's not a big one. It's a very little issue, but um Sometimes when I'm watching these DS9 episodes that take place in caves, they're so dark that I can yeah. barely make out what's happening. And, and I turn my brightness all the way up and I'm yeah. like, I'm just like, I'm like, is it just me? Is it my, is it my computer? Or, so I just want to put it out there that I, I just wish that the lighting was a little bit brighter in some moments in those caves. They can still pull off the cave effect or at least have lanterns or something that they're holding to their face so that their face is lit. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because I noticed the same thing. When they're in a cave, I'm like, I'm basically just listening to it at this point, because you can't see anything that's going on. But maybe, you know, have a tricorder out, have something to where you can have a little bit of extra artificial light, because I understand they don't want it to be bright because they're in a cave, but you've got to do something for us. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I was going to say so. something, but maybe I should wear a tie for this one. Because <laughs> speaking of, speaking of, uh, 
you know, light and being in a cave. Uh-oh. There it comes, ladies and gentlemen. Brace yourself. Here it comes. <sighs> Cooking a rodent in a cave when bad guys are looking for you would lead them right to you. <laughs> right? I mean. Yeah, that'll I mean, do it. They, they just would smell it. They'd be like, oh, it's, it's, they're over here. I can tell because it smells like Popeye's chicken over here. Yeah, and not, not only that, but like you guys have been in that cave for what, like eight hours? Are you that hungry? <laughs> I know. You can hold on. <laughs> like you were in there for three or four days, like, ah, we're starving. What are we going to do? Uh, you know, it's, it's called skipping a meal, guys, you know, before you eat cave rats. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. That would, that would lead them right to them. But my thing was the, the lighting. It's just sometimes I get into these episodes and there's, there's moments when they're in these caves and I can't make out what is what. And the fighting scene, for example, occurred like that. So I couldn't see how the fuck. I, I got a vague picture of the bat lip going in his chest and this and that. But there were moments where I just was like, I am, is it me or? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not you. It's, it's dark. I noticed it too. It was super dark, especially towards the end of the episode was when I really noticed it. I was like, this is, I'm not seeing anything. I'm just seeing like shapes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, even the, uh, even Indiana Jones knew to bring a torch with him when he went right. inside the cave with the snakes, you got to have a torch or you got to have a, a light source of some, you know, otherwise you're walking in the dark with cliffs by cliffs, you know, walking on ledges with cliffs. I mean, you'd have right. to have some light source. All kinds of cliffs, Cliff Bar, Cliff Clavin, Heathcliff. Uh, and you, you don't know which one you're going to run into. <laughs> yeah. Cliff Huxtable. I, I was uh, waiting. I was like, come on, that's the next one. <laughs> there it is. I got one. I gave you one. But, but yeah, so that was, my, that was another little nitpick I have. I did like Worf's shocked face. Uh, he had a couple of facials, and he gets these great right. faces. Uh, I can't even remember the moment. It was just a moment where uh, Core said something like, come on, let's go, or something. And, and the way Worf kind of looked over at Dax, I, I can't remember the exact moment, but it just, it was so hilarious because he, he did one of these, you know? Uh, and it was his shocked face, you know, where his eyes kind of got bigger. And He's great with his eyes. You have to be when you have that much makeup on. You have to really zero in on the eyes and Worf is great with the eyes he is great with the eyes and he, he's also good for that puzzled look on his face like i don't understand yeah <laughs> he's always puzzled he's always worried but he also like has almost like a childish look when he goes it will be glorious you know like you almost like oh, yeah you just you want to pat him on the you're yeah. right Worf. yeah it's gonna be yeah. a good time yes yeah right <clears throat> So, so we yeah, only have like a, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, we only have a couple minutes left. Um, no. no, I did like this episode. Uh, it, it's a, once again, it's a little bit off the path of where they're <laughs> headed towards with the Dominion and all of this stuff. seems like one of those standalone episodes where they just throw it in there and they're like, okay, this is, uh, this is something that we can help, you know, build character. I think it was, it was made for the purpose of building on morphs character and kind of giving him more to do as they establish his presence in this early show in this early season. But, um, I, I, I liked the episode and I thought it was pretty good. So, um, 
before we, oh man, actually I still got one more nitpick. I don't know if we should do a bonus nitpick, but I, I feel like I got to get this one off my chest. I got, I got to get it off my chest. I'm sorry. Here it comes. <clears throat> they said the Vulcans couldn't get into that main chamber of that museum. And they got in so easily, Jadzia and Worf and Kor got in so easily. All they had to do was use the tricorder and reverse the polarity of something. Don't they know reversing the polarity of something is the oldest Ooh. trick in the book? They even have a meme of Picard going, have you tried reversing the polarity of something? <laughs> it's the oldest trick in the book and the Vulcans don't know that one? <laughs> That's reversing yeah. the polarity, man. Come on, everybody knows that one. Yeah. They got uh, in in like five seconds and they said, but the Vulcans had no, the Vulcans are such idiots. They <laughs> Yeah, they ransacked the whole place, but they couldn't figure that out. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, it, there's, there's always going to be little holes like that. Um, they were trying to make a play on, on the Egyptian pyramids, I believe, because, yeah, um, really yeah, cool, a, lot yeah. Of, a, a, lot, a lot of cool things were paralleled there. They even called it the hidden chamber, I think, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> which is exactly what the Egyptian pyramids called their hidden chambers and and the king's chamber and the queen's chamber. So they were definitely making a reference to the pyramids and to the way things were mummified and preserved uh, in Egyptian uh, culture thousands of years ago. Yeah, and all joking aside, I thought it was really awesome. I thought it was really cool the way that Worf saw like that the dust, you know, was, was not going all the way. Well, I mean, that was really smart stuff. That was really cool. And of course, it, it did lead us like the whole imagery and the terminology does lead us to, to think of the Egyptian pyramids and finding these hidden chambers. And that's really cool yeah. stuff. And you know, every time you see an article that's like something about a hidden Egyptian chamber, everybody clicks on it. We're like, Ooh, what new little, you know, yeah, historical exactly. fact do we have? And we love that stuff. Um, yeah, before absolutely. we hit our free for all though, it's time. Jake Cisco guesses the IMDb score. I'm going to say this was about uh, a 7-7. Seven, 7-up. Seven. Mm. Seven well, oh, nice. I'll tell you, this was a 7.1 on the IMDb score. Um, I guess people were like, we don't care about Klingon stuff. I don't know. It was good. It was good. Probably deserves a little bit better. Um, but as a standalone episode, that's what they gave it. 7.1. Um, we've got the free for all next. It's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. All, all of our fun uh, associate producers and such. Now, now, Ryan, did you have a sword of Kalis shot out before we leave? Did you have somebody to shout out on the sword of Kalis? Uh, yeah, we'll be doing it uh, further down the road, but we'll absolutely do it right now as well. Um, let me look them up super quick. There are these people. Uh, they run a ma and pa shop, you know, husband and wife shop. And it is unbelievable. We looked at some of their work. They're called Spitfire Labs. Um, the website is spitfirelabs.newyorkcity. Sorry, spitfirelabs.nyc. And okay. it's mind-blowing. We'll talk a little bit more about it uh, in future episodes as well. But Sirak and I were, were taking a look at your stuff. If you guys are listening, your stuff looks awesome. And we're looking forward to talking with you further. So we'll take a quick break. We're going to hit the free-for-all, and we'll be right back on The Seventh Rule. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the seventh rule free for all. Uh, that was Homer giving us all instructions that nobody will remember. <laughs> uh, you, were you recording that? Yeah. So, uh, hi, I'm Homer Frizzell, and yes, welcome back to the seventh rule. I'm Eve England from Wales in the UK. Hey, I'm Natasha Louise from Salt Lake City, Utah. Nice. I'm Sue Gruner from Gainesville, Florida. I'm Yvette Blackman Tom, and I'm from New York, New York. <laughs> and I'm right here in Los Angeles, California. All right, and you're next. Ryan. Oh, sorry. I was having too much fun. Hi, my name is Ryan T. Husk. Uh, I'm in LA. And I'm Tim Baum. I'm in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm Titus Muller, and I'm in Farmville, Virginia. So pretty much what we're finding out is that everybody actually was paying attention and remembering those instructions, except for me. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I, was like, I was like, nobody's going to remember those. And everybody did except for me. Yeah. And exactly. I don't think I said where I was. So I wasn't very good at remembering what I was talking about. Homer Frizzell out in Manhattan, upper Manhattan, right? That's right. Inwood. Inwood. Uh, Inwood. So this is the free for all. We are joined by some very cool and awesome people that have just introduced themselves. Uh, today we were reviewing The Sword of Kaelas. I don't know if you remember that episode, but it's pretty cool, pretty awesome. We we're talking about how many Klingons have names that start with a K, uh, just like the Cardassians. Wait, the Kardashians. So, I don't know, I feel like there should be a Klingon question, unless you guys want a Kardashian kind of question to go around. How many apostrophes do they have in names? Mm -hmm. <laughs> One. One. I have a question about the Klingons. Mm -hmm. Have they ever been influenced by telepathy? Ever? Because... Besides in this episode, I, right? Besides this episode, I feel like this is the first time I feel like they were influenced. Um, there was... In uh, the one of my favorite episodes in Next Generation, the uh, Perfect Mate, he fell under the spell of the Metamorph. Uh, oh. So Femke, I remember Femke that Jansen, one. right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I did forget about Worf because I was kind of focused on Picard. Sorry, girl crush. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. That, that brings up another question, which is, uh, had we seen these Lathian Lathian? Aliens before? Yeah, the Lethians, I Lethians. think, wasn't that the alien that did something to Bashir more mm -hmm. recently yeah. and had yeah. him playing tennis and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But was there anything oh, else? I don't think so. I, don't I think that was the first the time. The Lethians, always trying to recruit tennis players. 
speaking of which, shout out to J.R. Poole, who is an avid tennis player we found out recently. Huh. J.R. Poole and tennis go hand in hand. So, do you guys have a favorite Klingon not named Worf, Martok, or Gowron? I think that's a fun yes. one. Oh, what is her name? Oh. And not Lursa? named Lursa and not named Bator. And oh, not them. <laughs> uh, take them all off the list. Mar- I, I really like Korn. I do really like Korn. <laughs> He's pretty awesome. What about the tiny Rom, the play? May, May Hardu? The guy had the restaurant on Deep Space Nine that served the guy. I just know the actor's yeah. name. And I know he yeah. died. Too. Yeah, the big guy, the really mm-hmm. big Klingon. Right, like, and he played the instrument and everything. I he played, he yeah, played the violin or some kind yeah. of violin looking thing. <laughs> he was in he only was two episodes and then he passed away, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. My, my favorite is Groka from the House of Quark. Oh, oh, great. Great. I absolutely love her. She's gorgeous. She she knew how to work quirk into strings. It's like, hey, come play my game. <laughs> I love her. Yes, yeah, she did. She's gorgeous. She did. Just love her. What's Martog's it. wife's name? Hellier. Like right. Oh yeah. Kalar. No, not Kalar. No. Yeah. Love her name. Martog's wife isn't. Oh, no, I thought you Mar- said Worf. No, Martog's wife. Oh, mm. I can't remember her name, but I liked her too. She was awesome. She was a force to be reckoned with. Corella. Yes. 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 Cor- yeah. right. Like Dalmatians, Corella? No, not Cruella. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard, Corella. I was like, Corella DeVille. Wrong franchise. Okay. Corella. Okay. Mm. She was great. Oh, and Laurel, she's awesome. She's worth it. Oh yeah, I forgot about Laurel. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I just yeah, that just reminded me. Which, that. which one is Laurel? Uh, from Discovery. Yeah, oh okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that because yes, she's great in Discovery, one hundred percent. So that was we easy. See her uh, in, uh, the new one. Oh, we see her in the new Pike show. We might. Oh, I mean, okay. it's going to take place in that era. Yeah, so I'm hopefully they'll be back. Mm-hmm. I would like to see her again. She might also be in Section 31. We don't know when, when that's going to take right. place, too. True. Mm-hmm. It could take place, place during DS9. That would be great. That would be cool. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be nice. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, just afterwards, we can get everyone back into it that right. way. Right. Yep. That'd be great. Homer, do you have a favorite Klingon that's not been mentioned? Yeah, I was going to say, you guys have really laid out a lot of good ones. So I'm going to, I can't do it, but uh, Gowron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's a lot of fun. And I I, I was just like, who is this guy? And he's kind of like, he sets up the Klingons as something totally different um than than what we're used to. So I, I like Gowron as a character. As a Klingon. Yeah. But Lorel, Grilka, Kalar, um, 
all those are fantastic. And don't forget Alexander. I'll try. I would. Though. Yeah, Alexander <laughs> is not in my top five. Mm, top, top twenty. No way. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> when he was on Next Gen, and I liked him a lot. I'm not in anyone's top five. Watch <laughs> Alexander. Yeah, I'm thinking of Little Alexander too. Yeah, the Little Alexander. Like yeah. he was fun. The one that, that took the mud bath. Was, the mud bath. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's exactly the one I was thinking of. Yes. That kid, that kid needed a timeout. And when he finally gets his dad to go to the holiday, he was a bad kid. And then they get locked in. Yeah. That's a good question. Who was the worst kid in Star Trek? Like the one that needed a timeout the most, as Yvette says. Uh oh, oh, it's Tim. Tim knows. Tim's got an idea. Yeah, nobody's gonna like it. Wesley Crusher. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry, Will, but yeah. <laughs> he did get slapped. Yeah, that's true. Right by so his mom. Shut up, all oh, yeah. His mom slapped him. I just watched uh, TOS and watched uh, Amanda slapped a out of uh, Spock. I was like, oh, this all the slapping is a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> they like slapping their kids. What about Charlie X? Was he considered to be a kid? Yeah, he was. That was an episode when they were doing syndicated reruns back in the 70s. For some reason, Charlie X episode showed up once a week. Even though, <laughs> even though they had three seasons to pick from, I always saw Charlie X. <laughs> uh, Titus, who is the worst kid in Star Trek? Yeah, I was trending toward what Tim uh, what Tim said about um, Wesley. That's probably wow. what brings to mind the most. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, Alexander, when they were so tiny in comparison to Worf, it was incredible. See, this huge guy, <laughs> this little boy. I thought it was a great. It, it, it ironically put Worf in such an interestingly um, – a vulnerable position, somewhat like Picard. He didn't want to be around kids a whole lot, I don't think. Um, so quick to say that, yes, Alexander's better off at home with his grandparents, you know. But, um, but yeah, Wesley, Wesley um, comes to mind the most there. And my favorite Klingon would be Kor. I think if we're going to X out Warp mm -hmm. and some of the others, I think what Kor did... I think Michael Dorn put it well. Later on in the show, Sorak, you have this to look forward to. Uh, there's some like Shakespearean level episodes that they do, and one of them is with Core. Once, once more into the breach, breach and um, and life, and yeah, that I think John Colicos. Awesome. I'm not sure I pronounce his name, but he, he did a great job. Yeah, his favorite drinks are liqueurs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for being so surprised. <laughs> you never cease to surprise us. Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, Core, though. Core, yes. I do like him a lot. Probably I thought Core, he's, yeah. I think he's really great in this episode. And he's got all the, the Klingon qualities where he's 
super tough when he needs to be, but then he also has the ability to be reasonable, which is, <laughs> which is a little bit unusual, which I like. I like the reasonable Klingons. <laughs> is that a thing? That sounds like a country band. Reasonable Klingons. <laughs> Reason Up next, ladies and gentlemen, reasonable Klingons. <laughs> they come out with their like big pads, but like, but, like right. slacks, you know, they're wearing slacks. Right. 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 Oh my God. Yeah, oh, instead wow. of bat lifts, they have those big Q-tip things that they had in American Gladiator. <laughs> Didn't Riker fight his dad with those yeah. ones? Shout out to American Gladiators, though. Wasn't that the best show ever for a moment there? It was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. No? <laughs> that's, a, that's a dude oh, thing. I don't have. Oh. It's the guy. I watched it. <laughs> I knew of it. I never actually watched it. It's not the same as the old Gladiators where they just had like wrestlers and they fought each other and they had Wolf and people like that. Yeah, Wolf, I think. Wolf and 359, but there was a bunch of them. I think there was... We, ha we had a Q-tip. Q-tip? <laughs> yes. Q-tip, the giant Q-tip. Nitro, they had Nitro. They had a few yeah. guys everywhere. I feel like there was one oh, called right. like Ice or Iceman or something like that. Okay. Uh, uh, Eve, who, who's the worst kid in Star Trek? I'm trying to think of anyone else. Um... I mean, I don't know. Naomi Wildman is pretty annoying at times. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was more she annoying is. the way Seven of Nine kept saying her name in full every time. I was like, oh my gosh, it's just so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi Wildman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about those Borg kids? Yeah, they were quite annoying as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sorok is one of the only ones that wasn't annoying, to be honest. Yeah, the DS, the DS9 kids were good. Yeah. Well, I, well, I we think had Nog, one kid. Nog needed some timeouts initially, but yeah. then he grew out of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right from the start. Yeah. Like the first, first episode, he was in trouble. <laughs> he was in some trouble. Yeah, he was in instant trouble. He was. <laughs> he was a troublemaker. Um, also, I was thinking about that Jem Hadar kid that grew up in that episode. Mm -hmm, Wasn't right. he kind of a badass? Yeah, 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 he was scary. He was very scary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he needed a time yeah. out. He's scary as hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he needed an ass whooping. Is what he <laughs> well, I wanted to say it, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's but that kid did. was kind of he, he was a he was a tough kid right there to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Did we see much of Kira Yoshi? I don't remember. I remember yeah. Kira Yoshi being born, but I don't remember if we actually saw much of him. Yeah, cried, we did. Cried a lot. He cried there's, a lot. He cried a lot. There's, there's a great episode with Worf where mm -hmm. Worf yeah. takes care of Kira Yoshi. Oh, mm. That was really good. I, I remember feed him. Yoshi. <laughs> <laughs> Kira Yoshi being in the pit, too. I remember it's the first time I think they called that part of off the pit. I remember, uh, remember it's just like, you can't keep Kiryu pit. But the pit was what kept Kiryoshi quiet, like the hum of the, I don't know, yeah. new tree or whatever it was. Right. <laughs> hmm. 
You know, I thinking a little further, Ryan, I, there is somebody else I would add to the list about these uh, kids. Honestly, it's an episode <laughs> I avoid because of it. Um, oh, I think I know. Uh, imaginary oh, friend. I knew you were going to say that. Imaginary, that's the one I was thinking of. Little demon girl. I literally avoid that episode. What was the name? <laughs> Isabella, right? Where she kept Isabella. going, Isabella. Yeah. Isabella. Yeah. Oh. Like, oh, oh right. Stop. That was so <laughs> terrifying to me yeah. as a kid because I I watched Heidi as a little girl and the main act the main child in that show played Heidi in my movie. And I'm like, oh I love her. This is great. And then all of a sudden this demon child. <laughs> you know, that girl from that episode was in, I believe, a Deep Space Nine episode later on, Ciroc, because I remember when we reviewed it, I immediately recognized her and looked her up and it was the same girl, but I don't remember what character she was in Deep Space Nine. Do you guys remember? It was like, maybe... Yeah, I, I think she was down on that planet where it was a bunch of holograms and one person, and then she was wearing the weird... The one. Oh, and Odo right. spins Headgear. around, right, at right. the end. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good Ooh. job, Homer. That was yeah. very good. Yeah. That's what turned himself into a top, right? And yeah. Started yeah. Spinning. Oh, her. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, there was that followed by Paradise, which was another one of my favorites. But I don't know why. And the, those are the two stories I wish at some point they had kind of gone back to visit to see how, you know, the, the hollow city is doing or the, the paradise people are doing. So that's see, that's uh, Homer said that's how he felt about Meridian, how he just wished that they would go back and revisit <laughs> that planet that may have gotten the lowest IMDb score ever. No, I don't Ryan, think so. I think you may be confusing me with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> But it's okay. Yeah. No, I always thought, and I, I know this has been said before, that they should have gone back and revisited the, I think it's the Ioceans from a piece of the action. That would have been, or might still be, interesting. You know, I, I, think, um, I think that might, I don't know if it was going to be a direct relation, but I think that's what Tarantino was interested in doing a movie about. Yeah. yeah, I did hear that. Mm -hmm. That would be neat. I would enjoy that. What did Tarantino want to do a movie about? He wanted to do a, uh, like an R-rated Star Trek movie. That had been in the news, like, I don't know, maybe towards <laughs> the beginning of this year. Um, and, um, and I think there was some talk that that's something to do with that Sippy Action episode. Uh, yeah. Super old school, and who better than Tarantino to do that one? That's right up his alley. Of course, that's what he wants to do, right? He doesn't want to do something about going out and fighting Klingons. <laughs> yeah, I still can't see Tarantino doing any Star Trek. It's just still hard for me to merge the two in my head. <laughs> it would be totally different, wouldn't it? But I'd watch it. it sounds amazing. <laughs> it would be interesting, yep. that's for sure. It would. And, um, you know, they talk about the, the short treks and they allow you to explore 
different different ways of doing Star Trek. Uh, Alex Kurtzman mm-hmm. talked about, you know, it could be a musical, it could be black and white or something. So maybe just to mm-hmm. test it out, Tarantino could do a short. I think that would be nice. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but I just thought that the last Discovery episode was way more violent than anything. Well, it just seemed to have a lot more sort of actual violence where you saw sort of blood and people actually being killed, which you don't tend to get that very often, do you? So it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that well, Quentin would definitely, I think, do that. He would definitely go all out on that. Or the hypodermic to the heart. <laughs> nice reference okay, there. But can somebody <laughs> yeah. bring back pink Klingon blood? Pink Klingon blood? What? Yeah, I know. Like nobody has done pink Klingon blood Star Trek six. since Star Trek Six. Oh. Well, so I think if Quinn doesn't, I want his Klingons to have pink blood. That's all I'm saying. I think oh, wait a minute. The pink blood in that movie to avoid the rating. Oh man. Okay. Interesting. Good thought. Yeah, because Cor in this episode mentioned red as the color of the blood. Yeah, I've heard that before. Red blood with them. No pink. Was it? Was it Worf bleeding in this episode? He was actually bleeding, and Dax had yeah. her hand on his wound, and yep. it was it was red. It was it was red blood. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I think they retconned the the pink pink blood because otherwise, blood wine would look like a Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real reason for it. That's why. That's why. Fair enough. But still. <laughs> Maybe it's different Klingons have different color blood. You know, they, they have dark ones and they have light ones. They have different yeah. ridges, you know. Like blood types. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like that, Homer. Yeah. 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 Different blood so types have pink. different colors. Okay. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know which one's more rare. Mm-hmm. But transfusions could be tricky. You stay here. Your, your blood is pink. That's right. We don't have a supply of pink blood in case you get hurt. <laughs> well, we've got a, a little bit of time left, uh, but uh, do you guys, everybody have all of their uh, plans for, I guess nobody really have many plans right now. <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably, what are you guys? I'm going to the next room. What are you guys going to be watching? Any, you guys going to binge the Mandalorian? Again? Yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> Yeah, I don't have Disney uh, Plus, but I've considered subscribing yeah, yeah. to check it out since I think um, the second season's over now. Yeah. That's right. Titus, I think uh, you'd like it. Yeah. I have a question for everybody. Is there a holiday movie that you enjoy watching kind of, you know, every year or or so? Is there one that stands out that's like that's my movie? But it gets me in the mood. Die Hard, Christmas Eve. Yes. Die Hard, definitely. <laughs> die Hard gets you yeah. in the mood, okay. Yeah. Not Die Hard, no. But... No, Eve, what were you saying? Yeah, Die Hard, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's our Christmas Eve movie, yeah. Okay. Yvette said no to Die Hard. Do you have a better one? You think in Home oh, Alone? Not, it's not my favorite, but I, I, I love Die Hard as a Christmas movie, but it's not my favorite. My favorite is Elf. Oh, oh it's yeah. so good. Oh, my God. What <laughs> is our favorite Christmas movie? Come here, baby. Oh, come uh, here. No. You got to ask him? 
<laughs> Come inside. I have two, but they're chick Let's hear them. Yeah. Uh, holiday. Christmas uh, carnivals, of course. Oh, and last holiday. Last holiday, yes. Last holiday. The last holiday? Last holiday with Queen Latifah? Yep. Okay, okay, yes, 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 okay. Miracle on 34th Street, the black and white edition. Black and white. Oh, yeah. That's it. I'm supposed to watch the Santa Claus. I've never seen it with Tim Allen. Oh, I love those. I love them. Two and three are not the best, but my goodness, they still have so much holiday spirit in them. I'm like, yay! Holiday (laughs) movie, I can put on in the background. My my wife keeps oh. mentioning that I'm getting fatter and growing my beard like Tim Allen did in the original one. So she oh. says you got to watch the movie. <laughs> oh, well, you, well, you look handsome, so you're doing it well. Star Trek Generations is the best Christmas movie. Come on. Oh. Star Trek Generations. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's in the Nexus. In the Nexus. Yeah. Right. Good oh, knowledge. Yeah. It, does, it does count. There is Christmas in there, so. Um, <laughs> He's got a fair point. Yeah. Home Alone. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings, because it has elves. <laughs> <laughs> and they came, they came out in December. They did come out during they, the holidays. They, they really did. I was so Christmas Christmas. Christmas. Mm-hmm. There's a Christmas reference in Star Trek? I just, I just needed... Oh, Generations. Generations. Yeah. Not, not, not a good movie. You know, I liked it better when I watched it more recently. I actually mm, found it to okay. be a good movie more recently. At first, I was like, eh, but I like all the, the Next Generation movies. They're not all great, oh. but I like them all. They're all on the plus side of like or dislike, you know, especially First Contact, of course. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, I'm, I'm with uh, I'm with Sue uh, Home Alone. I don't know if I could say Home Alone that way. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. My connection's not very good today. It sounded very Christmassy. You said Home Alone. Like Rudolph. What about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the one I always watched when I was a kid. Peanuts. For a TV show. Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. So I have a confession. I haven't seen Die Hard yet. I haven't seen Elf. So um, I need to, yeah, I need to do that. Yeah. So, I, but I would say mine, um, the one that I like that uh, is, is probably a go-to every year is Scrooged. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Especially one with Bill Murray, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it, it makes me cry every time, you know, near the end. I've never really? seen that one. Yeah, that's Bill Murphy neither. Oh, come on. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Homer, Homer says, you, oh, come on, and he never saw Die Hard. <laughs> so I'll watch, I'll, watch, I'll watch Die Hard. You guys watch Scrooge. <laughs> you have to watch Elf, too. And I've yeah. heard good things, and I haven't seen this either, but the Muppet Christmas. Oh, that's really yeah. good. Yeah, mm. that's, that's really good. good. That, that made me reminded me Ryan. of Trading Places with Bill Murray. That happened during Christmas. Yeah, that counts. Oh yeah, sure. Trading Places Christmas movie. 
Okay. Just too bad it has an 80s nude scene in the middle of it. <laughs> oh, sorry. If y'all didn't know. Wow. That's hey, Alex. Pointing in. That's Alex. <laughs> what's, what's an 80s nude scene? Right, I don't, I'm trying to figure You know, out. in the 80s, like every movie had a nude scene in it for some damn reason. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, obligatory, okay. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah obligatory, gratuitous, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I thought I you meant there was... Christmas story. <laughs> An 80-year-old that was naked? That's what I thought, no. No, no, no. <laughs> there, there, there's just yeah. a whole bunch of stuff you can't watch with kids. I just thought there was something, like, that made it, you know, specific to the 80s, you know, like like certain nude scenes you could tell are from the 80s. And so that's what I thought he was going uh, for. Yeah, there are things that I don't think <laughs> But I know, I'm glad we didn't camera. go in that direct. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's why also, I'm glad that we, we understand exactly what he means. He just meant obligatory 80s, you know. Like, or like Tim said, uh, gratuitous. Gratuitous nude scene, yeah, every 80s movie. My next favorite is The Holiday. Has nothing to do with Star Trek. That's one of my favorites too, with um, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, Jude <laughs> yeah. Law, Kate Winslet, yep. and Jack Black. Oh my goodness! Yep. Scrooged with Bill Murray. Have you guys <laughs> seen uh, oh, California Christmas? Uh, a no, friend of mine no. directed it, and he said it's number one on Netflix right now. I've been trying to watch it. Every time I click on it, it won't let me actually watch it. Well, I'll talk with Sean about that. Shout out to <laughs> Sean Piccanino. Uh, I want the... to watch it. Oh, I have a question that has nothing to do with any of this, but Deep Space Nine. When I watch it, around. the audio is off by like three seconds. Yes, sometimes it is, yes. Uh, always. I'm... I've gotten so that I literally am used to it, but it's really, why is that? On CBS All Access? Netflix. Oh, see, yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't, watch, I don't on watch it on CBS. I, I don't watch it on that. So I don't know, but CBS All Access has its own audio issues where it's super quiet. Like you have to turn it up all the way just to barely yeah. have it the right level. Yeah, you, have to, me, you have to do the closed captions. That's I do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was me, but it's the volume yeah. is really low on CBS All Access. And the other thing I have a problem with with CBS All Access, uh, uh, Ryan, you can get your tie on for this one. I know, I was no, going to say, uh, where's your tie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's the fact that, so I watch DS9 and Discovery religion, like that's the only thing I watch on CBS All Access. So you would think when I log in, it would put those shows at the top right of there. the... Yeah. menu bar because I'm always watching those shows but right. yet but yet I can't get I can't get Deep Space Nine to come up at all I always have to go into dramas search. and look yep. at it or type in it. type in deep into the search and then you yeah, get like you three know you know I watch it I literally only watch that show and Discovery <laughs> so those sh two shows should pop up on the algorithm first for me to go and pick up right. where I left off it's like, hello, welcome back, Ciroc. What'll it be? You're like, it's me. What do you think I'm watching? I watch the same thing every time. What do you think? It's me. Yeah, except, yeah but it always puts other things that I don't watch uh, always at the top of the thing. And I'm like, I never click on those things. I never watch them. So why are they trying to force that down my throat when the thing that I do watch, they're not giving it to me. I have to really search for it. 
God, that, that is a perfect nitpick. That you, you really that. needed a tie for that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, so good. That was my nitpick of the day. Yes. <laughs> Especially because you really felt it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should contact CBS and throw your weight around, Zorak. Say, look, I'm in some of this stuff. I want everything <laughs> I'm in to be at the top. I mean, hello. <laughs> yeah, now they should figure that out by now. Jeez. Hmm. Boy, oh boy. Well, I guess we got to go now. We want to end on a high note like that. Uh, we'll all uh, contact CBS <laughs> and let them know. Like this, you know, this will not stand. Rant. Yeah. End on a rant. This this will not stand, man. We will not have this. Anyway, uh, very special thanks to Homer Frizzell, Timothy Baum, Titus Muller, Sue Gruner, Eve England, Yvette Blackman, Tom, Natasha Louise, and her iPad, and and yeah. Alex Courtney back there too. Oh yeah, there he is. <laughs> All right, in the house. Sirac, uh, we had a fun time. Is this our last? No, we have one more recording for the one year, more. and. Uh, it's going to be a good one. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, guys. We'll see you soon, okay? Happy holidays, everybody. Happy Hit holidays. that like button. Hit that like button. Hit the like. Or else. I like that hat, Yvette. That's a beautiful. It looks great on you. I mean, it's like. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's very beautiful That's on so you. so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Always remember the seventh rule. We're very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.